0: David committed adultery with Bathsheba at the height of his kingship. The luxury, freedom, and powers that he enjoyed had blinded him to his sin. This is a common danger to all of us. His sin had blinded him to what mattered most, which is a close relationship with God. And David knew this He wrote many psalms about being close to the heart of God. David followed the seductions of his sin and it took hold of his life. He began going through the religious rituals offering an abundance of animal sacrifices, but in his heart, he was far from God. It was in the depths of his sin that God confronted him and David knew that he had walked away from the one who loved him, his God. David wrote Psalm 51 to commemorate his repentance and to remind all God's people of every generation about what God really wants. It's not burnt offerings that God wants. It's a sacrifice of a broken spirit. But why? Because by nature we desire what is sinful and we want to do as we please. But to do what God wants, there is sacrifice involved.
1: Well, I want to begin this morning with a story about an extreme abuse of power. And if you have your Bibles, take them please and turn to Second Samuel chapter 12. And I want to tell you the story about a rebuke. A rebuke. Of a king who abused his power, the man who did the rebuking his name was Nathan. He was a prophet and uh, a well-known prophet, a prophet that was very much in tune with God, a man who heard from God, and a man who was not afraid to speak the truth. Hey, isn't that exactly what we need right now? Is men of God who are not afraid to speak the truth? 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's Own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb, killed it, and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing, deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one that he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you're that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. Saul was the first king, the king before David. Saul was the one who constantly tried to kill David. I gave your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if it had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Verse 13, then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned. Against the Lord. And Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. And you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord, by doing this, your child will die. David, an adulterer and a murderer, But there's one more thing, one more charge that we need to lay at his doorstep. And it's one that most people never think of. David neglected his relationship with God. You say, is that that a crime? It is indeed. Samuel understood that. Samuel, the prophet who anointed David to become king, he understood that not praying, failing to pray, was a sin against God. And David, as the leader of his people, especially needed to be careful to maintain a right relationship with God. He needed to maintain a broken and contrite heart before the Lord. But he did not. And that is why he fell into sin. Now, you and I, we read this, and we're appalled at this, and we shake our head in disgust. How could this great man of God be doing something so evil? And that's often what we think of others when we see them sin, when we see them doing appalling things. We think of it in our hearts, what wicked, evil man. But I need us to stop for a moment While we're so quick to pass judgment on others, we fail to recognize what's in our own hearts. It's time for you and for me to get off our high horse of moral superiority and remember that Jesus Christ alone is superior. Jesus Christ alone is perfect. It's so easy, isn't it, to judge others and to condemn others. The fact of the matter is, is every one of us is a sinner in need of God's grace. The apostle Paul, in the very opening of his letter to the Romans, he reminds them of what the facts are. You may think that you're righteous, you may think that you're a good person, but this is what God says. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, no one is righteous not even one no one is truly wise no one is seeking god all have turned away all have become useless no one does good not a single one now, if you're not a Christian today, you have no idea what I'm talking about. In fact, this maybe makes you angry. But if you are truly converted, if you have been born again, you've been, if you put your faith in Christ and God has revealed to you the true state of your heart, then you know that what I'm saying is absolutely correct. And you would say, yes, I agree. Lord, you are right. This is the human condition. We live in a world of broken people, sinful people, people who fall short of the glory of God. This is a nasty world. And we, although we try to make it better, and some people are quite content to settle into this world, may I remind you that this world is not heaven and it never will be. The New Testament is clear that. This heaven and this world as we know it is passing away. And if that's the case, then we need to rethink the way that we understand the will of God in our culture and in our society. The church does not face or deal with the problems of this world the way that the world does. And by world, I mean those who do not trust Christ, those who have not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. David, when he heard the prophet Nathan tell him that he was the the one, he was the sinner. He was the one that fell short. David immediately admitted and confessed his sin. And out of that confession and out of that sin, came Psalm 51. It's a psalm that I learned very early as a Christian. It's a psalm that I memorized. It's a psalm that I have repeated over and over and over again. I thank God that the Lord has saved me, but I know the true state of my heart, and I know that I need a Savior, and I need Jesus Christ to cleanse me and to work in me and to sanctify me and make me holy. Because on my own, I can't and I won't. None of us will. We need the grace of God at work in us to make us holy, to make us like Jesus Christ. Read Romans 8 if you don't know what I'm talking about. So David writes Psalm 51, and I I have this picture of of Nathan talking to David. And after Nathan is done talking to David and David faces his crime, he writes this Psalm. And I wanna just point out a few verses here that will help you understand what it is that God is looking for in your life and in mine. David says, God, you don't desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. In David's day, the Jewish people would go to the temple and they would offer blood sacrifices to God to atone or to cover their sins. But David understands that anybody can bring an animal and burn it on an altar. That's not what pleases God. That's not what God wants. What God wants is your heart and my heart david says the sacrifice that god desires is a broken spirit you will not reject a broken and repentant heart O god this is what david discovers and everybody who's ever put their faith in christ understands it's exactly what god wants He wants us to come to him in humility to confess our sin and to repent of our sin, to run to him and run away from the distractions of this world. Sadly, the culture now has been so enmeshed in the church and in Christians that now Christians are totally oblivious and do not understand what God's will is anymore. They don't understand what is acceptable to God. So I'm calling you today, and myself, to offer to God the sacrifice of a broken and repentant heart. You and I must learn what it means to stop walking in pride and in arrogance to bend our hearts and bend our neck, bend our spirit and allow the Lord Jesus Christ to refresh us, to renew us and to show us the sin that is in our lives. That's a sacrifice that pleases God. We've been talking a lot about the sacrifices that please God. We've been talking about this now for five weeks. And can I say this to you, that these sacrifices are a description of the Christian life. If you want to know what a Christian is and what a Christian does, then you've come to the right place, because the, these sacrifices are what we do. It's, it's who we are. And remember, these are sacrifices that please God. That's what we're told in First Peter chapter two. These are the sacrifices that please God. And the first thing we recognize is that, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? Jesus tells us, he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. This is where sacrifice begins. We say, God, here am I. Take me and use all of me. Do with me whatever you want to do, even if it means being a martyr, even if it means dying for your glory and for your honor. This is true Christianity. Then we talked about the, 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 the second sacrifice found in Hebrews chapter 13. The sacrifice of praise, of declaring our allegiance to Jesus Christ, of expressing to God before all of heaven and before all of this world. Remember, it's on earth as it is in heaven. We declare our allegiance to Christ and we give thanks to God for for being uh, our savior, for saving us from our sin. Remember, Jesus Christ came as our savior. And we say, thank you, Lord, for saving us. This is a sacrifice that every one of us should be making on a daily basis. If you're going to say anything then to your friends and if you're going to declare anything to anybody on Facebook, on Instagram, Twitter, or wherever you like to put out your opinions, declare to people that you are aligned with Jesus Christ and yet you need a Savior and were it not for Christ, you would be lost forever. That, my friends, is a sacrifice of praise to God and it glorifies him. And then we talked about the sacrifice of doing good. Making sure that we give our lives for the glory of God. Thinking of of David Livingston, who did everything in his power to stop slavery. And what a lot of people fail to, to recognize is that there are all kinds of people involved in it. In David Livingston's memoirs, he talks about the Swahili Arab consortium involved in the trafficking of people in Zambia into slavery. Hey, when it comes to slavery, nobody's hands are clean. Everybody's guilty. But that shouldn't surprise us because God declares in his word that none of us is righteous. None of us is truly wise. None of us seeks God. No one does good, not a single one. The heart, the life that is untouched by the power of God is capable of all manner of wickedness and evil. Don't ever forget that. And don't ever climb up on your moral high horse. Understand that you and I, left to our own devices, would pursue wickedness all the time. Oh, there may be moments of of kindness and goodness, but in the depths of our hearts, our heart is is so wicked, so deceptive, the prophet says, who can understand it? Those of us who are Christians, we understand that fact. And then there's the sacrifice of of giving, of sharing with those in need. And then finally today, this sacrifice of a broken and contrite heart where you stop your proud ranting, And you come before the cross of Jesus Christ and you confess your sin and you ask God to forgive you your sin. Now, this is what we call gospel preaching. We do not fight for our rights and we definitely don't declare ourselves righteous. We declare God righteous. And we say, Lord, here am I. Use me. I present myself to you as a living sacrifice. Now, while people are busy virtue signaling and trying to tell the world how righteous they are in their anger and indignation about what is happening in the world, most people don't see their own hypocrisy. David's response to Nathan is a revelation to all of us. David was furious when he heard the story of the rich man taking that poor man's only lamb. It says, David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, David vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no no pity. Well, most people are busy judging others with absolutely no understanding of their own sin. That's what David was doing. He should be killed for his action. David, are you sure that you want that standard of judgment applied to you, David? Because if that's the case, then you're a dead man. Restitution should be four times what was done to the poor man are you sure are you sure you want to use the standard of judgment and if there were others in the room listening to david's furious rant against this evil rich man they would have stood up and given him an ovation and applauded him what a great and righteous man is our king But the fact of the matter is, David was a hypocrite. He was a fraud. And that's the thing, whenever you and I come before the throne of God, the light of his truth reveals the facts and the truth about what's really in the hearts of every man, woman, and child. Let's admit it. Let's confess it. Listen, if you're going to be busy judging other people, you better be sure that you have a pure and perfect heart yourself. And if you're honest, you have to confess that you are are not pure. You are not perfect. Personally, I don't know any perfect people. I don't know one. I know a lot of of people that I think are good, but I don't know any perfect people. And furthermore, I can't even recommend myself to you as a perfect person. Jesus teaches us to call no one good because only God is good. Now, this changes everything when we're dealing with our culture and dealing with our society and dealing with the injustices that we see around us, it's critical that you understand what I'm saying right now. If you understand that all humans are sinful and have the capacity for all manner of sin, then you recognize that the systems and the wisdom and the philosophies of this world are not sufficient to fix the problems of this world. We have seen it throughout history. I am a history buff. I love reading history, and I have a pretty good handle on it. And I can tell you, throughout history, people have fought and have schemed and have done everything they can to preserve themselves and to advance their own agenda. All manner of evil. And you know it's true. Now if you understand that all of us are sinner, every one of us is a sinner in need of God's grace, then it changes the way that we see our culture and our society, and it changes our understanding of what needs to be done It changes our interpretation of what is being done around us. Now, if you're not a Christian today, I could understand how you would not have a clue what I'm talking about. But if you're born again, if you're converted, then you will fully understand what I'm saying to you. What is needed, my friends, is a move of God, a revival in our midst where hearts and lives are transformed by the power of Almighty God. We are not in heaven yet, and as long as we're on this earth, evil will abound. But what can we do in the meantime? Jesus shows us what the kingdom of God truly is. And that's why we look to the scripture to show us how to respond, how to react, what to do, what not to do in this world. In Hebrews chapter 11, I told you, verses 13 to 16, it says clearly that Christians, people who have put their faith in Christ, and I'm talking about real Christians, true Christians, Christians who have the Spirit of God dwelling within them, Christians who demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. People who have the spirit of God dwelling within them are in fact called aliens and foreigners in this world. Now, you may not have known that. If you're a Christian today, this world is not your home. And this is what we see about the great men and women of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. These great men and women of God, it says they were looking for, the, for another country, a better homeland. They were looking uh, for an eternal city. They recognized as people of faith, as people who put their faith in God, that they were in fact citizens of heaven. And as people who are citizens of heaven, the first thing that we recognize is that if if, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, then we're brothers, we're sisters. We are, in fact, colorblind. Now, it's interesting. We, I was having a conversation with a few different uh, Christians in our church, and we were discussing that, and I asked the question, do you see me as white? And they said no, It didn't even cross my mind. Now, we've, like I said, we've got people from, from every continent It never occurs to me that we have people of, of any color in our church. I think of everybody in this church as being my brother and sister. Together, we are going to stand before the throne of God. This is what Revelation proclaims. It looks to the future when people of every nation will gather at the throne of God and worship the Lamb who has taken away our sins. This is what it means to be a Christian. We're colorblind. You know, the people that get it best are my brothers and sisters in Burundi. I, it's one of the reasons I love going there. It's a simple, pure understanding of what the body of Christ is all about. I try to serve them, and they try to serve me, and we, you know, we, in fun, we, we kibitz around, and we kind of fight for the right to serve one another. I'm going to tell you, cross church people from every continent gather together on a Sunday and declare to the world and declare to Satan and the angels, we are one through Jesus Christ. And we will do anything to preserve that unity because that brings glory to God. I've been in cross church for 26 years and I've worked hard. That has And anybody that knows me, you've heard me say this more than once. I will do everything in my power to fight for the unity of the body of Christ because this is the will of God. We're one. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we do not judge each other. We love one another. We don't talk about each other behind each other's back. We don't slander one another. We pray for one another. We care for each other. I've been so thankful for the number of people who have sent me emails or texts or phone calls and saying, Pastor around. this is a difficult season. Uh, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Not everybody does that. But those who are truly my brothers and sisters, they recognize the responsibility that I carry. And I'm so thankful to God for them. Yeah, we pray for one another. Hey, do you know that that the church is a showcase to the world of what heaven is all about, of what, of, 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 of what perfection looks like, of what God's intention has always been for this world. People of all color, of all races, from all nations, gathering together as one. Do we always agree? No. Do we always see things the same way? Absolutely not. And it's for this reason the New Testament teaches us that in Christ, those of us who are in Christ, those who are Christians, we don't acknowledge our differences. In Christ, there's neither Gentile or Jew. There's neither male nor female. There's neither rich nor poor. There's there's neither liberal nor conservative. There's neither high IQ or low IQ. We're one. And this is for the glory of God, because the glory of the church is Jesus Christ. And when you and I are one, we reflect Jesus Christ. Now, what I'm saying to you is very much a subversive idea. It's not the way the world thinks. I think the world loves the idea of it. But the fact of the matter is, as long as our hearts remain untouched and unchanged by the spirit of the living God, then evil lurks in that heart. And if we're not careful, evil can lurk in our hearts as well. And we know that. And this is why we refuse to be angry at each other. We refuse to hold a grudge. First of all, because God tells us that if you if you hold a grudge then God can't forgive you of your sin and and you know where where that goes and what happens then. But Paul reminds us that if we hold a grudge, if we're angry at one another, then you give Satan a foothold in your life. And the minute you give Satan a foothold in your life, then all hell will break loose in your home, in your marriage, in your relationship, and yes, even in your church. So as people... Of the kingdom of God, we are of one heart and one mind. Therefore, we don't think like the world. And if you do think like the world, then I'm gonna challenge you get your Bible out and start reading it again. This is the problem with so many Christians, they're absolutely ignorant of Scripture they have got a sort of a a syncretism. They're trying to to bring the scripture together, Christian ideas and the ideas of the world. They're trying to mesh them together so that we can somehow be relevant. Relevant is a lie from the pit of hell. What we need to understand is that people, when they receive the truth, they are then set free by that truth. And that truth is Jesus Christ. As Christians, we don't act like the world. And if you are acting like the world, then this is a wake-up call to you. to stop it. James reminds us that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And furthermore, not only do we not act like the world, we don't react like the world does. When we see injustice, when we see something so appalling and so horrendous as the knee of a cop on the the neck of, of George Floyd, we are horrified by that. But our reaction is not to go out and break windows. Our reaction to that is to reach out to that family, to love that family, and more importantly, to fall on our knees and to cry out to Almighty God to bring healing. But if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't see the point of prayer. I've heard politicians saying, I am sick and tired of hearing, I'm going to pray for you. Well, look at, let me tell you this, and you're going to see this in just a few moments. Christians, true Christians, are activists. But before they do anything, they go to the Father in prayer. So we don't react like the world. And look at we reject the wisdom of this world. Tertullian, one of the church fathers, was, was indignant at the way that, that Greek philosophy, Greek ideas, Greek culture was influencing the, the, the church. He was, he was extremely disturbed at the way that Greek, the ideas of Greek government even, was influencing the church. And he asks this poignant question, what does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? And I would say the same thing. If you and I are going to be true followers of Jesus Christ, we must ask ourselves the question, what does the views of the world have to do with the views of Jesus Christ? We do things God's way, we do not do things our own way, or even according to our own wisdom. This is what the writer of Proverbs says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God. In all your ways, bring God into the discussion and he will direct your paths. So we don't respond the way the world does. We do things very, very differently. I don't have time in the time that's allotted to me to help you see the, the, the whole picture. I'm, I'm only uh, touching on, on some of the, the major issues. But you have to read the Bible yourself. You have to read the Gospels and see how Jesus did things. See what Jesus taught. See what Jesus did not do. See how Jesus reacted and didn't react. You need to see that because that is our guide. We're called to imitate Christ. We're not called to imitate famous Christian people. We're called to imitate Christ. So the problem is Christians are so indoctrinated by the ideas of this world. Christians are, are far more conversant in what is being said on, uh, in the newspapers, in news articles on Facebook, on Instagram, the various media, on television, and so on and so forth. Shame on us. Because the minute that we fail to recognize that we are followers of Jesus Christ and that we do things his way is the minute that we have nothing to say to this broken world. And so I'm challenging you. I'm crying out to you. I'm calling to you. Take seriously this call to follow in the steps of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, it's very different than the way that many Christians want to address the problems of our world. Show me somebody who's doing something contrary to Scripture, and I'm going to show you somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Now, I'm not sitting here in judgment. I I feel so inadequate dealing with the problems of our world. But I'm not God. I don't look to myself as the answer. Jesus Christ is the only answer. And together the church looks to Christ. Together the church as a unified body looks to the the Lord Jesus Christ and to his word for direction and guidance. You and I are not to follow the philosophies and the ideas of this world. What does the world have to do with Christ? What does the world have to do with the church? What does does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? Let the Spirit of God speak to you now. Because it's time for us to get our Bibles open and start becoming students the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, our master, our teacher, our Lord, our King. I have, uh, I've been in the ministry for 37 years. I have never seen a time when Christians have been so ignorant. We have at our disposal no end of sermons on YouTube. We have, all of us have at least 10 10 Bibles in our homes, multiple versions. We can listen to, uh, to sermons on TV and, and on and on it goes, and yet we are so ignorant, so stupid. This is a rebuke. You need to get your Bible out and read the Gospels and learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Christians don't have a clue how to function in this world. They can't discern what's right. They can't, you can't seem to discern what's wrong. That's very problematic for me because if the spirit of the living God is living in you, then I know what the Holy Spirit does. He helps you discern. He helps you know the difference between right and wrong. And if you are not choosing to do what's right, then I have to question, are you truly converted? Is the spirit of the living God dwelling in you? And most people don't even know what the gospel is. What is the gospel? In a nutshell, we're all sinners. Let's, let's, let's acknowledge the problem. The good news, folks, is I know what the problem is. Once you know the problem, someone said that once you know the problem, that, that's, that's halfway to, to, to solving the problem. You have to know what it is. And the problem is we're all sinners. The next thing, of course, is that the Bible declares that because we're sinners, we are going to hell. And not only going to hell, but we will create hell around us. In a nutshell, we need a Savior. In a nutshell, we need to put our faith in Jesus Christ, that he paid the price for our sin. And in in putting our faith in Christ, he washes our hearts clean. Read John three sixteen. And if you believe that, then you must repent of your sin. That means you stop living the way the world does. It means you stop living the way you used to do before you became a Christian. And if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to repent and you're going to start to deny yourself in the power of the Holy Spirit, because that moment that you are converted, the gospel, the good news is that the spirit of the living God comes and dwells in you and enables you to be like Jesus, enables you to follow Christ. So you deny yourself, you take up your cross and follow Christ, and then the next thing, of course, is that you are baptized, identifying with Christ, and you find yourself in a church in a church home where you set your roots in deep. I have watched the people who have done that, who have set their roots in and become part of the family, they're the ones that are growing. Those who skip from church to church to church, they're still as immature as they were 20 and 30 years ago. It's time to grow up. It's time for us to embrace this gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our standard. Now, this takes what David was talking about. It takes a broken and repentant heart. There's no way that you're going to embrace this gospel that I'm talking about if your heart is not broken by your sin, if your heart is not prepared to repent. In short, there can be no pride. And the Bible tells us God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we don't deal with this world the way the world deals with the world. The world has proven itself utterly powerless to make a difference. 49 years ago, politicians tried to resolve this policing policy. 49 years ago, we're seeing the same things that were happening today. 50 years later, I was—I remember very clearly 29 years ago, the LA riots, the brutal beating of Rodney King, and how shocking it was that again, justice was not done. And again, it's horrifying. And Rodney King, I can remember it so well, saying, can't we all just get along? And I'm sorry to say, Rodney, No, we can't because of our sinful nature. We are so arrogant and so full of of hatred. Hatred for one another. You see, racism is not just a political issue. It's a spiritual issue. People have hated each other from the beginning of time. It started in Genesis chapter four. One brother killing another brother. That's what we do. That's what humans do if they're not touched by the power of God, if they don't surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. And then just in these last few weeks, George Floyd, that that image will be burnt in my mind forever. The horror that that gripped my heart and has gripped the world. But it wasn't just George Floyd that died at that time. A lot of people, and in fact, I don't know of anybody that even talks about it. What about Captain Dorn, the black, retired captain trying to protect a pawn shop? His, his funeral was on Wednesday. It's horrible, folks. Humans are horrible. Oh, there's, there's moments of greatness. There's moments when they do great things. Do you know, politicians and professors have tried to solve the the woes and the problems of our society. They've been trying to do it for hundreds and even thousands of years. But they can't cure the wickedness of the human heart. It's interesting that we still think that the answer to our problems is a political party. The conservatives will do it, the liberals will do it. The liberal, Justin Trudeau, and the conservative, Donald Trump, neither of them are able to solve the problems of their countries. But as Christians, you and I understand, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the unifier. He's the one that brings us together. And I can tell you, I've got all of history to back me up in what I'm saying to you today. We need, as Christians, to be people who do things God's way, who solve the problems of this world in the power of the Holy Spirit. David and Nathan, this very poignant story here in Second Samuel chapter 12, David discovers his own hypocrisy. I'm praying today that you will discover your own hypocrisy. It's, it's so easy to act. That's what hypocrisy, that's what the, the, the root of hypocrisy is, as acting. It's so easy to act, isn't it? David, what a wonderful actor he was, pretending to be the great righteous man. Hey, let's, let's humble ourselves before God and say, God, Forgive me for my own hypocrisy. Oh, you may be a great social justice warrior, but what about your private life and how you treat your family, your husband, your your wife, your children, and your own people? Stop being a hypocrite. Confess that you need Jesus Christ to cleanse your dirty, broken heart. And the good news is that Jesus will do that. But if you remain a hypocrite, if you remain proud and arrogant and unwilling to offer the sacrifice of a broken repentant heart, there's no hope for you. I can't help you. And God can't even help you. In fact, God will oppose you, he always opposes the proud. And you don't have to be afraid of Satan, but you do need to be afraid of God. Thank God David understood his hypocrisy and he had confessed it immediately. No protest, no argument, no excuses. And here's the other thing he discovers. He discovers that he cannot judge. Only God can judge. People judge me all the time, say nasty things to me. Most of the time, I try to keep my mouth shut, try try not to respond, try to be Christ-like and godly. But I'm gonna tell you, you haven't got the right to judge. God is the judge. David killed this rich man. Here's David, the judge, when he did far worse than kill a little lamb. He killed Bathsheba's husband. Admit your sin, confess who you really are. Confess that you can't judge. David discovers that he's a wicked sinner and we know that he, he knows it because he wrote Psalm 51. I'd really, really advise you to read Psalm 51 with your family. Very powerful. Let's, let's confess the true state of the heart of every single human on this planet. And let's be quick to recognize the solution. It's a sacrifice of a broken and repentant heart before God. David discovers that he needs to confess and repent, and that's exactly what he does. He discovers what real righteousness is. He discovers the righteousness that truly pleases God. Wow, it's a broken and repentant heart that pleases God. And a broken and repentant heart is what God wants from you and me, and quite frankly, it's a broken and repentant heart that our country needs, that this world needs. Hence, the gospel. This is why we don't do things the way the world does. The world cannot solve its problems. That's the history of it all. I can't make people love other people. This is the glory of the church. People from every nation, every creed, every background, every problem, every sin that you could imagine, they come together in repentance before God, and God makes them one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I gotta tell you this. A real Christian, a true Christian understands that our goal is to please God. You understand that today. That is your goal, that's your, your, that's your obsession, that's your, uh, the, the, the thing that's at the top of your list. It's your number one desire. Social justice is not your goal unless you're not a Christian. Jesus himself, our master himself, says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his justice. Being a social justice warrior is not what we're called to be. We're called to be people committed to Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of you are sitting there, got, you got your Bible, you're reading, there's a chapter in Isaiah, and there's all kinds of verses about caring for the poor, and what about the sheep and the goats, and on and on. Well, you see, if you don't know your Bible, and if you don't understand the theology of Christian living, then you can come to very wrong conclusions. Now, I've got nothing against people that are seeking justice. Uh, William Wilberforce, my, one of my heroes, he is the one that is accredited, or it's credited to him this, this end of, of slavery in England. But understand what motivated him. It wasn't just that there were slaves. What motivated William Wilberforce was his relationship to Jesus Christ. This is what motivated him as a politician. This was his job. His job was to change his society, his world. As a Christian, that's exactly what he did. Now, here's, here's the thing that you're, you're, you're looking for this morning. What about justice? What do we do to bring about justice in this world? And here's what I'm gonna tell you. Those of us who seek first the kingdom of God, those of us who offer to God this sacrifice of a broken and repentant heart, those of us who do that will find that justice, social justice, follows us wherever we go. That is the history of Christianity. And you can do the research yourself. Wherever people have sought to offer to God sacrifices that please him, those are the people who bring justice with them wherever they go. I talked to you about David Livingston. He offered himself. Do you know his heart is buried there in Zambia? And his body, the rest of his remains are at Westminster Abbey. I've seen them. I've seen where he lays. What did he do? He brought justice or tried to bring justice, worked hard at bringing justice. But he did it through preaching the gospel and doing everything in his power to give his his whole self to God. Even his wife, his wife died there. He didn't see his children. He gave his whole whole self for God's service. The sacrifice of, of praising God and declaring our allegiance to Christ. We go into the world and we tell people, look, you can be transformed. You can change. You can be set free from your sin. And in so doing, people begin to experience the the fulfilled Christian life, begin to experience abundant life. Life automatically starts going well for those who follow Jesus Christ. By the way, that is the great testimony of the Mennonites when they first came to Manitoba. These people were devoted to Christ and God prospered them and blessed them. I'm sure that we must have more Mennonite millionaires in our in our province than, than any other group. Why? Because there is a justice. There is a, a, a wealth, a prosperity that follows those who live the way God has called them to live. I know my own life. When my family started following Christ, no more... No more cigarettes, no more alcohol. Now we're going to church and man, the, our life just turned around and it was fantastic. That's what I call justice. Justice for us kids. We do good in this world. That's the third, that was a third message. The sacrifice of doing good. Delson and Nadine. They're the ones that came to my mind. Heroes in Africa. He could easily leave Africa. He's a very bright man, very capable. In fact, he had actually left Burundi and God told him to go back to a land that is so dangerous. But he went back to do good for the glory of God. That's justice. And boy, the social justice that he has brought to that country. 400 children... Actually, I think thousands of children are being educated because of what we're doing there. But four children, 400 children specifically being, being sponsored by, by the friends and the people of Cross Church. Uh, when I, there's so many people in Cross Church that do good. I, I can't even begin to mention names. But hallelujah. Thank God for these people who bring social justice with them wherever they go. And I think of of giving, the sacrifice of giving. You you may remember that a few weeks ago, I told you of our our hope. Hope was to build a parsonage for Delson. And through the people of Cross Church, we've raised $40,000 to build that parsonage so that Delson can go on doing good for the glory of God. Some of you say, well, I'd love to have a house. Hey, when you're doing what Delson's doing, maybe we can talk about that. Delson and his family, family of three with a fourth one on the way, have nine other people living under their roof that Delson is caring for, social justice. Thank God for the people of Cross Church who've gotten behind what we've done. We've built schools. We have have, uh, hosted clinics, medical clinics. We have done just about everything that you can imagine to help make a difference in this world. That's who we are. That's what we do. And finally, we offer to God a humble and broken and contrite heart because justice always follows the sacrifices that God's people make. Hey, I've got I to gotta remind you, we don't think the way the world does. We don't do what the world does. We don't solve problems the way the world does. We solve problems the way God tells us to solve them. And when God's people are in line with God's will, then, wow, hospitals go up, schools go up. Most of the, almost, I, I think all of the great universities in the world today were built and started as theological schools, Christian schools. It's quite remarkable but that's that's what Christians do Christians really do make the world a better place I'm talking about real Christians now people who are truly converted people who have given to God a sacrifice of a broken and repentant heart we don't think like the world and we don't solve the problems of this world the way the world does. We, we don't wage war against evil in this world the way that the world does. Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, he says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Isn't that exactly what we need right now? We need the spirit of almighty God to come down and touch our world. The world's not going to be able to solve these problems, but Jesus is. And Jesus does it through you and me because you and I are his hands and his feet. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So what are these weapons that we use? These weapons that we fight with are the are not the weapons of this world. We begin on our knees in prayer. Jesus showed us how to do that. I'm always astonished at the number of people who want to fight for justice, but I never see them at a prayer meeting. Never even never even a suggestion. If you care about your world, if you care about what's going on in this world, then uh, put your money where your mouth is, because talk is cheap. Show up at a prayer meeting. Show up and invite the God of the universe to make a difference in this world. Prayer really does make a difference. If it was good enough for Christ, it's definitely good enough for us. And by the way, that's how David got into trouble. He stopped praying. And that was the beginning of his hard heart and his unrepentant heart. Pray. What are the other weapons? Unity in the spirit. The minute God's people start fighting each other, and this is why we close down Facebook, because I'm fed up listening to people argue. Christians, you should know better. I don't care about your political position. Keep your political position in your own head and keep your mouth shut. And remember, the most important thing is not your political position, not your opinions. These things don't mean anything. What matters is that you love your brother and sister in Christ. If you're offending your brother and sister in Christ, then stop it right now in Jesus' name. Humble yourself. You want to know what real warfare is? It's unity. We defeat Satan every time we remain unified. That goes for the church. That goes for every marriage That goes for every family. When you make up your mind to stay unified no matter what, that's the greatest warfare. Every time I love the people who hate me, I'm doing warfare. I refuse to return hate for hate. I'm going to love you whether you like it or not. You can hate me, you can kill me, but I'm going to love you. We worship God. We proclaim Christ to everybody. We evangelize. We do good. We give. We maintain a close walk with God. These are just some of the weapons that we use that are not of this world. I would like to ask you to pray with me now. And understand this. The racism we're seeing right now is just one of many very serious problems that I am dealing with every day that you don't know anything about. I don't need to tell you the kind of things that are going on right now, but I'm gonna tell you just a few. Abortion, not a word about it. Nobody protesting, nobody fighting for the right of unborn children not a word and yet millions and millions and millions are dying every day someone said one every second or one every minute And boy the silence on this is deafening you see the world hates racism but they're all in favor of abortion think about that christians are not like the world we have we are we we hold to a higher standard we don't do things the way the world does hey I'll be the first one to admit, first one to confess. I am weak. I I fail. I mess up. I don't do things right all the time, but I'm going to tell you with all my heart I do the best that I can for the glory of God. There's marriage problems, there's sexuality problems, racism, poverty, economic inequality, there's widows, there's orphans, unemployment, loneliness, it goes on and on. And as a pastor, this is what I do every day. I'm, I'm, I am doing battle and trying to bring justice and hope and healing and love. And that's what you and I need to do. Today was a long message and I apologize for the length of it. But uh, I'm told I shouldn't apologize, but I, I do apologize for keeping you this long. But this is so important to understand. It's time for the church to be the church. You're not like the world. We don't fix the world the way the world fixes the world. We do it God's way and we bring glory to his name. Father, bless us and help us to glorify you in all that we say and do. May you be exalted. May your name be high and lifted up so that the world will recognize that the solution to their evil hearts is a surrender to Christ because a broken, a contrite heart, you will not despise. You will not reject that one who comes in humility to the throne of God. Help us now, we pray, and make Cross Church a beacon, a light, a, a, a place where there is hope for this broken world. And we pray that for Christ's sake. Amen. God bless you.